And one, two, three, Let's back go. again. Hi. Hi. This is for the girls. Podcast. It's, we didn't know who was starting there. That's how improvised this is. This is. I'm Nick Westrate. I'm Jason Block. This is a podcast about gay men, gay women, bi people, trans people, um, non-binary people, the, the LGBTQAI community, and their relationship with great female performers. Yep. We're just here to stand. We're here to love. We're here to bring light. We're here to celebrate some iconic women in entertainment. That's right. And we're here to examine the kind of old tropes about why it is queer people love women. And you remember that old uh, expression, a friend of Judy's? Well, we're trying to kind of unpack that and see where that comes from. Even more this week. Why, Jay? Who's this podcast for this week? This podcast is for friends of Judy's. This podcast is for horny sisters on a trolley. Yep, this podcast. This podcast is for nostalgia. It happened all the time, even during this project that we are talking about, which is Meet Me in St. Louis. Can I just say one more? Gosh, you really cut us off early. This is a podcast for girls who are the most terrible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so iconic. 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 <laughs> I am the most terrible. You're the most terrible? You're going to be the most, the most terrible? terrible. I'm the most the... terrible. You are the most terrible. That's true. I'm That's the awesome. most. Te- I get to be the most terrible. <laughs> Hi, babe. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Yeah. I just wanted to get right into it. I just wanted to get into the meet me, to the meet me of it all. I just want to meet everyone in St. Louis, Louis. Meet them at the fair. Oh, I'm so excited. so excited this uh we're we're in real time we're coming to you in real time this week it's kind of like close we didn't tape this a million months ago we are right in the moment and uh i want to do a little diva news real quick what do you got because this week we lost a great great diva jessica walter uh jessica walter a great actress who most people know from arrested development but had such a huge career on stage and on screen and iconically guest starred not one, not two, not three, but four fucking times on Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> That's right. She was victim, murderer, friend, lawyer, everything. I love that. I love when they're just like, and come <laughs> back. And again. <laughs> and again. And now you're this other person in Copa Cove. Fuck. Did you get that scene I sent to you yes. between Jessica and Angela? It's so, yes. it's like a fucking checkoff play. It was an act-off. Oh, Jessica Walter died at 80. She was married to the great actor Ron Liebman, who, if you don't know, is a him I'm for. He was the original Roy Cohn in Angels in America. He passed in December of 19, and uh, she followed shortly after, unfortunately. But fucking pour a martini out for Jessica Walter, because they don't make him like that anymore. The hits have been coming this week. The hits really have been coming this week. Oh, fucking, oh, another diva. Book diva. You're fucking diva, Beverly Cleary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a staple for so many people's childhoods and kind of, she had such a great um, way of letting you know where you were at <laughs> when mm-hmm. you were eight or nine. Yeah. And explaining your terrible behavior in a humorous, fun, relatable way. That also like let you know that you had emotions that were justified, that were making you do certain things, but that 
you should feel them and also you can move through them. She beautifully, beautifully helped clear up a lot of confusion. Those confusing mm. times, she really was able to kind of tap into that. And and then, and then you know, we lost our George Seagal from one of our all-time favorite from, movies. Yeah, George Seagal passed. Uh, Seagal, I think. Se- Oops, uh, George Seagal. Seagal, Seagal. Katie Seagal. George Katie Seagal, Seagal George not Seagal. related. Yeah, the great George Seagal, another him we're for from uh, Uncle Art. Nope, you threw my Uncle Art out like a piece of garbage. <laughs> I think we're the only people that are like, he was in For the Boys. He was Uncle Art. You know how long I like searched for a picture of George Siegel and Bet and like couldn't find it? And of course, like Bootleg Betty or one of the fan sites put it up immediately, but I mm-hmm. couldn't find it anywhere and mm-hmm. really wanted to. Rip to all you legends. We love you. I am on a more positive note. I have a different piece of diva news. What do you have? They're doing an Ally McBeal reboot. Ooh, starring Ally McBeal? Starring Callisless herself, yes. And that's Ally McBeal was a show for us when it came out. It was like everything in the late 90s, Ally McBeal. And I'm only here for it because I need the return of Lisa Nicole Carson. Oh, I need Vonda Shepard to be to, oh, to get you, a reboot on that soundtrack. Y'all, if you don't know this, like we got into some Vonda Shepard early in COVID. We gave you a COVID <laughs> playlist episode, which is mainly Vonda Shepard songs. You're welcome. Go back and download that. Leave us an iconic review and uh, share this podcast to all your friends on social media. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Everything old is new again. Mm-hmm. There's. They've tried it. They've tried some stuff. Did you? Do you, do you even know that they tried a Mad About You with Miss Helen Hunt? Uh-huh. It was on some channel that no one got. It was on like yeah. the Spectrum TV channel. Yep. Which yep. no one we, gets. We couldn't find. We couldn't find. But hopefully we, we can find, find this I think it's on Par- It might be on Paramount Plus, I think, or a Peacock. I think some other streaming service picked up that. I'm just not into the reboot. I'm not here for the reboot. I haven't seen a reboot yet that I was uh, thought was rebootable. Yeah. Yeah. Have you? It, I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know that I... I don't think I've engaged because I know I didn't watch the Murphy Brown reboot. No. So I didn't. I, I, and that would probably be the one that I would have attempted mm-hmm. to uh, put my eyeballs on. I mean, as much as we love nostalgia, I love it stays in my nostalgia. It stays in my mm-hmm. good place. It stays in that pure good place. So I'm not well, quite looking for. Speaking of that, God, I'm going to just blow up the whole podcast here. Coming April 1st to. Purple HBO, my fucking savior of a station, is the full series of The Nanny. And I almost started crying when I read this on Fran Jesher's Twitter. It was my show. I was like, Jason, do we just change the entire podcast to just cover The Nanny? You would. I mean, since we started this podcast, if we're trying to like pitch around ideas, you always pitch around watching the uh, complete uh, seasons of, of series of the nanny just to do on the podcast it's my favorite t- it's like for me tv shows go the sopranos the comeback the nanny boom 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 that's the order of my favorite tv shows of all time then golden girls then golden girls Hmm. yeah yeah and then of course what the what was it called the enforcer the the investigator <laughs> no the, the closer the closer the closer she was a, she, she investigated, yeah, that's definitely a hard number and then she five. closed yeah she that's, closed and then she ate a candy bar that she, she wasn't supposed to she had us that sweet tooth she had that she had that sweet iconic tooth. sweet tooth fuck that's love your number you, five so those are your five greatest those are my five greatest tv shows it's of all eclectic. time it's eclectic it's <laughs> eclectic 
<laughs> it's a little eclectic. Yeah, it's definitely gay. Yeah, um, it's gay. That's a lot of diva news this week. Wow. What are we? That's we, fun. Yeah. Um, we could talk about what we're putting up on the Patreon. Oh, yeah. Patreon this week is going to be exciting. I mean, this is now basically a Tina Turner podcast. Which I'm fine we, with. It's well, the I'm nanny Tina Turner. We're going to we're only going to cover the nanny and then Tina Turner news on for, for so the those are the only for the lives. girls we are for. Yeah, the Tina doc also came out on Purple HBO this weekend, this past weekend, a couple days ago. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Then come over to patreon.com front slash for the girls podcast because we are going to talk about it. More Tina talk. We're doing more, even more Tina talk if you can imagine it. And I'm very happy about it. Well, we're behind on t- the Tina talk. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to have some Tina talk. You have to. You have to. You have to. We've got so much iconic shit happening over on the Patreon, you guys. There's like 40 plus bonus episodes over there that you can get and listen to stuff like Touched by an Angel. You can listen to some Sybil, the sitcom. What else can they hear on there? Oh, everything. I mean, yeah. I just, I mean, just us gab, gab, gabbing. We're really, mm-hmm. we fly free. We fly a lot more free. We take the reins off. It's fun. We kind of go all over different places. I mean, we really let the muse take us on on these Patreons. So if you want to hear a much more loosier goosey version of us, if you can imagine, uh, <laughs> that's over on the Patreon. It's so funny because I, I, um, someone sent me also from Arrested Development when she orders the Icantina t- tuna melt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. You don't remember that? No. And then the waitress is like, do you want that in a platter or a plate? And she looks up and she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And I will not respond. <laughs> and I've actually had a tuna, tuna melt before. Really? I yes. don't like a tuna melt. <laughs> so I guess you're not going to have a classic would, tuna, tuna melt. I would have a classic uh, apple tuna turnover. I was so excited to order that. It's like this bizarre diner in between LA and Las Vegas. And it's all celebrity themed. So there's like, it's like, and it's, and hasn't changed to whenever they made it. Sure. Yeah. So maybe that will change you, baby. Maybe that will change Mm. you if you, yeah. When we go to Vegas to see Gaga. Anyone. To see anyone. anyone. We're just excited to see anyone. I will see anything right now. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay, now are we ready to go back to 1903, St. Louis, Missouri? Let's go to Missouri. Never been, never been besides this I film. Have. You I have? went up. I went up in the arch. Yeah, in the St. Louis arch with my friend Adam Green. We were at a theater communications group conference in St. Louis. I had dinner there. I stayed at a hotel. I went to a conference. Did you love it? Loved it. Loved every minute of it. St. Louis is iconic. Um, this movie. Starts off with the biggest brainworm of a song. I can't even cope. It's like, I mean, and that's the, that's the point in the movie, right? Everyone is, it's in everybody's head, but it's right. been in my head haunting me for days now. Oh, meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at <laughs> Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. We will dance the hoochie coochie. I will be your tootsie wootsie. 
Meet me in St. Louis. It's really funny because I want to, because when it's in your head, you then need to play it over and over again to somehow think you're going to get it out. But right. on the cast recording on Spotify, it's it's as if it's in the movie. So it's, you know, normally in kind of modern musicals or whatever, they'll go and kind of do a, a do single recording. Version. Yeah, a single yeah. version. A recording and Judy did for and the- Judy did do a recording of it for Decca. Mm-hmm. But but on the on the actual cast recording, it's just them singing those like in insane snippets. So you get it three different times, and it's like, and I keep having to listen to the multiple versions of it as if they are, can't stop humming it in their heads. So you can hear Grandpa singing it. Meet me in Saint Louis, Louis. I'll be out in a minute, Agnes. Oh, I Meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining. Any place but there We coochie, coochie, coochie We'll be a shootsie, woochie If you will meet me in St. Louis, Louis Meet me in the fair La, 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 la I mean, you can basically hear everyone singing it in the cast On this recording, so yeah, it's Yeah, it's like that boat in the Suez Canal It's like stuck and in my house, if I start singing "Meet Me," and I'll hear someone join along in St. Louis, Louis. <laughs> Is that what happens over in That's Los Angeles? What happens in Casa and Casa Jason's house? Uh, yeah, it's just starting the "Meet Me in St. Louis" chain, and then you hear from other buildings, and then we're all in our petticoats singing it on the street. Oh, now what's your origin with this, Jay? Okay. 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 I grew up loving musicals. Mm-hmm. I was kind of raised on musicals. Uh, my yeah. mom also loved musicals. And so that, and those were, that was a really, yeah, I, I, I guess my three were Wizard of Oz, Bye Bye Birdie with Anne Margaret and really Sleeping Beauty. Would you... Oh, Would you, you love Sleeping Beauty. You were crazy. Like, I wouldn't really consider it a musical, but it's a cartoon. But it, it was a cartoon, but it was still it still had the singing in it, you know. And and it's it had the fantasy, right? Fantasy playing. And so right. anyways, but those were the three kind of really important films in my life. But I had never seen Meet Me in St. Louis. And when I was 24, I was living in this tenement, which I've I've talked about before, in which the bathtub was in the kitchen and mm-hmm. the living room was my bedroom. And mm-hmm. there was and the closet was a toilet. And it was, it had just been, it had not been touched for decades, this, this apartment. It was insane. Nick would go crazy when he would go in there because I, I could. I would just have to keep cleaning and cleaning. And like sit by an open window because I could shit, cook, and shower at the same time. Yeah, and it was just it was so a, small. Dinner parties over there were a thing. It was a thing. And I actually would stuff people in it. And it was, it was a total fantasy in my young 20s. I mean, it was. Totally. Uh, you know, it, a kind you of living your, your CC Bloom existence. Absolutely. Kind of a thing yes. you couldn't get. And so I, during that time, and with my thrifty self, I found a gigantic TV, you know, an old TV with a gigantic back on it. And it had a built-in VHS player. Mm. And I, I was just living because what I realized what I could do is, and this was pre-Redbox, is that I could just march myself over to my local Goodwill on the Upper East Side and mm-hmm. get any VHS for a dollar and bring mm. it home and have a proper Friday night. And so I would set that up on like a 
on like a TV stand near, and mind you, yeah, I could shower and then go right into bed. And so I would take a bath with some gin and put on any old movie and then quickly Mm. transition into the bed without even having to move this gigantic TV around. And I was living, I was having such a great time. And so, and I was trying to kind of introduce myself to some older films, not just like nostalgic 80 films. And so I, I read a meet me in St. Louis. I had no idea about, about what this was. And it, it is one of the most indelible New York moments of my life. Here I am in this bathtub in my kitchen, and I put on one of the most sumptuous, beautiful films, and I'm 24, and I'm drinking some gin, and I just was enveloped. Mm. I was alone you know, with the New York skyline around me, and it just, I just fell in love. I mean, I just couldn't stop singing its praises. It was, it was at the right time, at the right moment, in that right place where I mm. got to watch this old school Hollywood musical that just filled me in up so Technicolor, much. This, in Technicolor. This perfectly designed, masterfully acted, beautifully scored. Song. I mean, it's a fucking masterpiece from beginning to end. It's a dessert. It's a dessert. This is, this is a buffet of desserts. This is like walking into the most beautiful, ornate grand hall with just rows and rows of the most gorgeous desserts you've ever seen. I mean, I, I, I experienced this film as if I'm eating the most sumptuous cake, Mm. you know, and I hadn't seen it since I hadn't seen it since. So in about 10 years, I had not, I had only watched it once. And I remember kind of thinking, this is mine to hold and to have, like, I don't, I don't, I, I just want this moment. Like this moment was so big, you know, that moment where you kind of find something, you don't know anything about it and you just right. like completely let it sweep you away until mm-hmm. now. What about you, girl? What about you? Tell oh, me girl, about you. Here's my confession. This was my first time watching meet me in St. Louis. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I told Jay that yesterday. And he um, steps up, he steps up on stage for the gay awards as we give him <laughs> best try, best oh, try man. in the gay awards. It's, well, you know, sometimes you have these huge blind spots in your life. And for whatever reason, I always loved Judy growing up, but I didn't really fall in love with Judy until I was maybe in high school. And it was with the recordings, her recordings, because the Wizard of Oz uh, was always your thing and my sister's thing. They both were obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. They watched it all the time. And I like The Wizard of Oz too, but our family never really did meet me in St. Louis for some reason. And so growing up, I just never ended up watching it. And it's always been something I pretended to know. And the funny thing is I kept pressing Jason to do this episode. I was like, no, it's Easter week. We have to do Meet Me in St. Louis for Easter week. Thinking that Easter Parade was a song in Meet Me in St. Louis. It's not. (laughs) There's nothing nothing Easter about this. (laughs) I just knew Judy wore that white dress. I was like, oh, this is where that's on Easter parades from. Incorrect. Wrong. Incorrect. You're Very wrong. bad. I can't believe you listen to this podcast with me on it. Jesus. So we're doing this for you for Easter week. So all you Christians out there, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I screwed it up. <laughs> but we're here. We did but it. But you know what else Easter is about? It's ketchup. magnolias. And ketchup. ketchup. Best ketchup we ever made, Katie. Too sweet. Mr. Smith likes it on the sweet side. Oh, women like it on the sweet side. Too sweet, Miss Smith. Are they, okay, are they ketchup magnets in this movie, this family? Do they? The Baron of is, Ketchup? Are they the Baronesses of Ketchup? You know, I don't know. 
I don't know. The father's job semi semi um was lawyer. a mystery to me. Lawyer. Lawyer. Definitely lawyer. Definitely okay. lawyer. Lawyer. But they're the Smith family. If you haven't seen it like me, it's the Smith family. It's mom, dad, older son, kind of junior, Alon- Alonzo Jr., elder daughter Rose, middle daughter Esther, played by Judy Garland, and then younger daughters Agnes and Tootie. Tootie played by Margaret O'Brien, who won a Juvenile Academy Award for this film. That's right. That was a thing. And this movie is a Vincent Minnelli joint. And if you probably know that name, that's because (laughs) Judy and Vincent decided to copulate, get married, and have our iconic Liza. Yeah, and this is where they met. So that's kind of how the setup of this movie. And it takes place in 1903 in St. Louis, Missouri. And we're a year away from the World's Fair coming to St. Louis, which everyone's excited about, which is why they're singing this iconic earworm over and over and over again. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. We will dance the hoochie-coochie. You will be my tootsie-woopsie. Yeah, this is like the biggest thing, the biggest thing that's going to happen to their to their town. It's going to create a booming industry, and right, and everyone is just you know, it's like it's kind of like the Olympics. It's like when the Olympics come into your town. yeah, that's Same it was like thing. the yeah, it was very similar to that. And they would spend, I mean, millions and millions of dollars on. Did they say fifty million in this movie? They spent I think at the it's time fifteen million, but okay. I might be wrong. That's so okay, much like back in right? that's so yeah. much. Well, I mean, just imagine how much that is back in nineteen oh four. Fuck, and they are wicked excited about it. I was so bowled over by this movie. First, How by did the you production watch it? design. Did you watch it during I, the day? I watched it during the day. Okay. And I wore like Bose uh, noise canceling headphones. Oh, wow. So that there was no New York around me. And I like shut my little drapes to kind of give me, I do like an afternoon cinema feel. And I was by mm. myself and just watched the whole thing. And it was so, I'm just shocked at how virtuosic Vincent Minnelli is in this film and what he does with from the design to the choreography to the music to the performance given by judy garland which is i think her best work i've ever seen yeah it's the tops right yeah yeah i mean it's the it's the most glowing it's the most honest it's it's the most it's it's electrifying and Judy did not want to do this film there. And, and no. I think in that there was beautiful tension that, mm. that, that can only, you know, occur with that, with kind of trying to not be interested in the project. But then, you know, they say she saw reels of her and she's, and she said she had never felt so beautiful. Judy was 22 when this was happening. And, you know, as we know, she was an MGM child. She started as a child actor and she had been playing all of these kind of juvenile roles, all of these right. young kind of peppy girl roles. And she wanted to be done. She was 22. She wanted to she be wanted a beautiful to be a woman. woman roles. 
Right. And this and is kind of her last juvenile role. She like absolutely. they convince her to it. go to do this. But she begged. She told she came to Vincent Minnelli and was like, the script isn't any good. She just didn't want to do this. But of course, she was in a part of the studio system, and so she didn't really have a choice, and they made her do it. And they made her do it. Um, her mom, her momager was trying to get her out of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were trying to get her out of it because she was just like, I don't want to go back to high school. I don't want to go back to high school right. and, sing, and sing dippy songs again. And it's funny because after the project, she was like, never let me tell you what films to make. <laughs> like I, right. I was really and, off the base on this one. And because it went on to be the second biggest selling movie of all time after Gone with the Wind uh, for MGM, for I think. MGM. And then she went on to make five or six more movies and, of course, get married to Vincent Minnelli for the next. She was married to him for seven years, I think. Yeah. They, and they, they have Liza together. 51. Yeah. But right at the start of this movie, my favorite thing, she like balances comedy and realism so beautifully in this little fight with Katie, their maid, where they're trying to convince Katie to... Uh, lie to her mom to get dinner to be a little early so that everyone's out of the dining room because her older sister Rose has a boyfriend calling long distance from New York. It's all right, Katie. Yes, it's all right, but I had to tell your poor mother another flock of lies. Well, Katie, they're only white lies. A lies lie, and dressed in white don't help it. Now, if it's not asking to, just why was I lying this time? Why must we have dinner an hour early? Because Rose is expecting Now, don't go blame your sister. Blaming her? We're doing this for her. You know Rose's problem. Warren Sheffield's been writing to her for six months without one word that even smells like a proposal. What's that got to do with having dinner an hour early? Warren Sheffield is telephoning Rose long distance at half past six. Long distance? Yes, from New York City. And if the whole family's sitting here in the room, she may be loath to say the things a girl's compelled to say to get a proposal out of a man. If the man, unfortunately, is Warren Sheffield. Personally, I wouldn't marry a man who proposed to me over an invention. Well, we can't be too particular. Although we love Rose, the brutal fact is that, well, she isn't getting any younger. Hello, Rose. There's the poor old maid now. Oh, it's 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 beautiful. It's it's so okay. Y'all know this. If y'all are old time battle angels, you know this girl over here loves a seasonal movie. Loves. Mm. I I realize like what it is is that it's a perfect way of doing vignettes on a story where it's like you can just yeah. kind of take an instance and write around an instance and write write the characters to and if it's good to kind of involve them in this moment so you can kind of get a taste of every single person in the story mm-hmm. and it's seasonal and that's my jamsies. Well, Chekhov did that a lot too. It's a it's a it's a way of using time dramatically that lets the audience also know when we're at the beginning, middle, and end. It's, you know, because they feel that everyone I'm a knows I'm that such feeling of the year. A sucker. You know, the original book that this is based on, each chapter is a month of time. Yeah, so there's 12. Yep. Which is really cool, too. I love that. I love that, too. Steel Magnolias is a movie like that. Um, one of my favorite movies, Mike Lee's Another Year, is like that. Oh, God, um, that movie. Seasonal movies. Seasonal movies are everything. And, and this one starts off in the summer and it is hot and the dad does not want to have dinner early because he has to take an iconic cold bath. I know. He has to get into a chilly bath to relax. I mean, honestly, one of the great movie villains of all time, this dad. You think so? Like, he's so terrible when he's like yelling at Katie about like how she's cutting the corned beef. I was like, this is a monster. 
I was just like, this is just men. <laughs> I was like, and this is proof as to why I hate the patriarch and the Ugh. father and everything. Like, mm. yep, yep. I guess this is just what you would be. You're disconnected from the family. You have no idea what's going on. Everyone's right. making plans without you. And then you come in and steal their lives. Everyone yeah. And make it all about yourself and about what you need. Ugh. I'm glad he's not in it much. I will say that. I know. Well, that's the great thing about this movie. The men are so tertiary. Even the men that they're in love with, very tertiary. It keeps focused on the women. And the women aren't all demure and easy. Like Tootie, who he mentioned, the littlest sister, is this fucking Ramona Quimby spitfire. You know? She, I mean, this fight, when she gets in the fight with Katie and they threaten to kill each other. Katie, Katie, where's my cat? I don't know. A while back, she got in the way and I kicked her down the cellar steps. I could hear her spine hit on every step. Oh, oh, if you've killed her, I'll kill you. I'll stab you to death in your sleep and then I'll tie your body to two wild horses till you're pulled apart. Oh, that would be terrible now. You're like, these these women have their gloves off. They have powerful opinions. They're going to college. They don't ask anyone's permission. I even want to go back because... Yes, as we said, Margaret O'Brien won a Juvenile Academy Award, which sounds – it maybe sounds a little silly. Maybe it sounds a little right. bit – you know, and, and children actors, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to unpack there. But this, yes, yes, ma'am. This award, absolutely. She was a great child actor. She also was classic Beth. She was in our Beth Army. Um, and little there's women. so many little women carry-ons. Mm, oh yeah, for real. And she was the in the original, the first talking version of the Secret Garden. Oh yep, yep. Mm-hmm. She was little Mary in that. But how she how it opens, how we first see her, she's riding. You know, the ice delivery person is a as a horse buggy, and then he's delivering ice to everyone, and she's just kind of on the back of it, having fun. She's the tomboy. She gets yeah. to play this like kind of tomboy, and she comes back up and she sits with him with with her doll with her ra- ragged doll, and she starts talking about her that her doll has four ailments. Hey, Margaretta, never seen her look so pale. Well, the sun ought to do her some good. I expect she won't live through the night. She has four fatal diseases. And it only takes one. But she's going to have a beautiful funeral. And a cigar box my papa gave me, all wrapped in silver paper. That's the way to go if you have to go. Oh, she has to go. It's... She's obsessed so with her dolls perfect. in the graveyard. She has a doll graveyard. She like they all die these tragic, extraordinary deaths, and she buries them out back. It's she's intense. I mean, girlfriend plays this shit like a horror movie. Yes. She plays it like a motherfucking horror movie. And all I could kept thinking about was we need to talk about two day. We need to talk. <laughs> Kevin has a girlfriend. Tootie. Tootie. Tootie the psychopath. And she's I, playing it like it's fucking Nightmare on Elm Street in here. And I'm here for it. I'm here for the strange surrealism that this film brings in. Yes. And and and, and, and it has these elements of kind of, 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 of actual horror. There's a whole segment that we're going to get to. Uh, after this segment uh, about Halloween and it's, it's eerie and it's, but it, that's childlike. That's, a, that's an experience of a child. Yes. You know? It's like, taking the child's point of view. Right. This first section in the summer definitely takes on the two young women's point of view, Esther and Rose, Esther played by Judy Garland and Rose played by Lucille Bremer. Um, Rose is the elder sister and Judy Garland is Esther, the middle sister who has the fucking hots for the boy next boy door. Next door. 
She is so horny in this movie, Esther. Yeah. And, and Judy Garland's eyes are just swimming pools. And so when those swimming pools decide to swoon mm. and, and long, I mean, you can't not get the butterflies. And, you know, before this, musicals were kind of known, were, were kind of, you know, you've heard of Bugsby uh, Berkeley. You know, the big kind of choruses and chorus lines and everyone singing. This is kind of a little bit of an origin of the contemporary musical in which people sing and people sing a song to forward the motion or to capture the moment. And beyond the kind of humming of Meet Me in St. Louis, the first song we hear is the longing song for literally Mm -hmm. the the boy next door the want I want song the I want the moment I saw him smile I knew he was just my style my only regret is we've never met though I dream of him all the while but he doesn't know I exist No matter how I may persist So it's clear to see There's no hope for me Though I live at 5135 Kensington Avenue And he lives at 5133 I've always known this song from Judy, like it's on her Decca recordings from the 40s, which I own all of. And she, watching her do it in this movie, I was struck by what a great director of actors Vincent Minnelli is because she's so, the performance is so delicate and she's filled with such longing and yet she's nervous and yet she's bold and yet she's she has all these different colors of her character all these facets of what she wants and what she's afraid of you know and it all comes through in this how can i ignore the boy next door i love him more than i can say doesn't try to please me doesn't even tease me and he never sees me glance his way and though I'm heart sore the boy next door affection for me won't Minnelli was a perfectionist and he would endlessly rehearse kind of like almost like a stage product or like a, you know, for, for the stage, for like a Broadway production, Mm -hmm. he would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until he felt that it was at the perfect point. Judy Garland, who was a child of film, did not like that. She had a photographic memory and she could just, she could just go. She could like quickly learn it and exactly know what she wanted to do. So there was also, again, this kind of tension that he just kept going and going and going. 
It's this beautiful element of this movie where you see someone, Judy Garland, being taken out of her habit, out of her comfort zone in terms of how she's working, but also being put into a new comfort zone because she also, at the time, got a new makeup artist named Dottie Ponendel. And this maybe might not seem like a big deal, but at MGM, she was constantly told since she was very little that she was fat and unattractive. And they put these weird things in her nose and they made her, they just really fucked with her sense of self, her self-esteem. And Dottie is assigned to her by Vincent Minnelli in this movie. And Dottie pulls the things out of her nose. She's like, what are these? Get rid of these. You're so beautiful. And she does her whole look for this film and gives Judy this new sense of confidence. And Dottie stayed her makeup artist for the rest of her time at MGM. And you can feel Judy You know, it's so amazing to watch her in something where she's thriving, feeling good about herself. I know she was overworked at the time and I know she was tired, but this is the closest I think we have to seeing Judy making a film where she's close to happy. Yeah. And even, and and we say close because like we were stating, she wasn't that happy uh, for parts of the, for, for parts of filming this. She was treated as an adult you know, since she was a baby, she was being worked as an adult. It's a real yeah. criminal thing what we do to these child stars. It's really, it's really icky. It's, you know, any, I mean, obviously children working is a, a really bad thing. And then children working and then being forced into the public to have constantly everything you do being viewed and picked upon and forced and chosen. That's, mm-hmm. that's really damaging. And it's so funny because this is about our fourth time we've done a Judy project. And I kind of am like, Obviously, Wizard of Oz, as I've stated, is one of my most important works uh, that I've ever encountered. But I almost think that this might be it for me. This is kind of the crystallization of Judy that I want to go into. Because when I go down the Judy rabbit hole of her life, as we do in all of these projects, I realize I'm honestly looking for a different ending. I'm always Mm. trying to find uh, another way out for her. Right. And because because after every triumph comes a lot more uh, um, of of trauma and hardship yeah. for her. And when you say this is her being happy, this is a Judy I want to remember. This is a Judy I just now want to have and hold. Like I, I don't want anymore. I just want this. She is so radiant, and like we've said so many she times, has, the camera she, and what Vincent does to the camera. Like she said, what, like she, I was. She has too much bloom. Men don't want the bloom rubbed off. Personally, I think I have too much bloom. She, oh my gosh, I wrote that down. I was like, oh, I oh. want to say I have too much. But sometimes I just have too much bloom. And that's kind of a meta moment too, because it's Esther wanting to be more mature and more alluring and not so girlish at the same time that Judy is having these same struggles, you know? They said that Vincent Minnelli wanted to fill every frame with things, with moments, not just what's happening in in the action of it, in the action of the mm. scene, but everything around it. And I've now watched this film twice uh, before taping this, and I just started watching Judy and how she's just constantly reacting, even if she's not the center of the scene. So much of her listening. It's amazing. So much listening and so much family. I mean, this family is – and this, so this movie took place – you know, as we said, this movie was 1944, and this was during a war. 
we are hot on an awful, awful war, and people are just starving for nostalgia right now. I think that's why it was such a huge box office hit because this was very nostalgic, even you know for yes. its time. It was extremely rose colored, fa- a family story. But man, is this family not believable in what Vincent Minnelli does? Oh, absolutely. And what these and women behavior bring. together and their their love for each other, Rose and Esther and Judy's when they sing Meet Me in St. Louis together, that little harmony, and Judy takes the top part. It's like Judy never takes the I top know. part. When Judy did that, I was shivered. I was so shivered. I was like, oh. I haven't heard. I cannot believe Judy is taking these little high notes like this little bird and letting rose to the bottom lucille bremer is so beautiful in this movie and lucille bremer this is her screen debut she was a rock cat who like had done tests before and then didn't make it in the movies and then was finally taken out to hollywood and put in a couple shorts as a dancer and then put into this she got a contract with mgm and they place her as rose in this movie and I, that moment to me feels like judy taking care of her you know even rose though rose is the older sister esther is the one with the chutzpah es- esther is the one with the spirit and it's judy garland who is a huge huge star at the time so you can i can feel that energy towards lucille from her that sisterly care in front of the camera yeah, I love this actress because I was like, I'm going to watch everything she's in. Well, she's not in much because she was no. kind of disillusioned after this. And she was kind of not interested in renewing her contract uh, when it came up. And then she ended up marrying like a son of the prime minister of Mexico and moved to Mexico and opened all these great resorts. And that was her she story. And I was like, okay, fabulous. Wait, did you hear what she did after that? What? After that, she left him and she moved to La Jolla and opened a children's clothing boutique. Oh my, get out of here. <laughs> Isn't that fab? I, you know, I was just talking about the again, nostalgia of the of children's stores. Like, did you remember And when we grew up, I think it was in Niles, Michigan, there was a, a shoe store that had a little door for the kids. So they had a glass yes. door for the adults and a little glass door for the children to go into. Mm-hmm. And, and that was whimsy. And oh, and that reminds me of whimsy. And this film is pure whimsy. It's, yes. It's just pure delicious. You know, you know who Lucille Bremer reminds me of for some reason? Like something in their eyes and their cheekbones? Julianne Moore? Yes. But also our friend of the podcast, Bane Gibby. Oh, wow. There's just something like very similar. Um, yeah. There's, I don't know. I'm sure Bane is listening. I, I just think there's a very Lucille Bremer quality about Bane. You know, oh, just their classic. high cheekbones and their gorgeous eyes. Yes. And kind of a classic movie, yeah. Okay, so the next thing, speaking of Rose and Esther, that they do together is they throw a motherfucking party so that they can meet the snack next door, John Truett. Oh, gosh. This, this whole, the whole party scene is absolutely such a beautiful delight. And again, Tootie comes and steals the show. Really, if Tootie's if Tootie's going to be in the frame, she's kind of taken. She's taking focus, and they know what they have. On, oh on yeah, it's a, a supernova. Like who is the only person they compare her with is Judy Garland, or she has to be by herself. And she really looks like a young Judy. I mean, she really looks like a young Wizard of Oz kind of Judy. I mean, the the, the sister dumb in this is so amazing. And like I said, um, so they so they have her do. Uh, they have two D sing this kind of inappropriate song about being drunk. I was drunk last night, dear mother. 
I was drunk the night before. But if you'll forgive me, Mother, I'll never get drunk anymore. <laughs> You're a very bad girl. And yes. everyone's just like laughing at how inappropriate it is. And then they decide to do this uh, kind of two-person number, two-person sister number. Yeah, they say, They call it the cakewalk. But it's actually called Under the Bamboo Tree. And the melody from Ukulele Lady is in it. Oh, is that right? Because I was like, I know know this. I'm like singing along. And I have heard this song before. If you like me like I like you and we like both the same. The performance of this, y'all have to see it because the entire time Judy Garland's looking back as if she's really checking in on her sister and mm-hmm. being proud of her sister and kind of being, you know, there's so many unspoken moments in here that you instantly pick up on as if like they've rehearsed this and Judy's kind of constantly redirecting her. And it's just, it's so lovely. It's so warm. It informs so much. Like the chemistry is so there. Down in the jungles lived a maid, a royal blunt though dusky shade. A impression one she made. Upon a Zulu from Madam Bulu, and every morning he would be down underneath the bamboo tree, awaiting there his love to see, and then to her he'd sing. To her he'd sing. Vamp. And the other thing, the conflict, the reason this is so interesting, the conflict for Judy is, as I mentioned before, Esther is super, super thirsty for this dude, John Truett, and her game has been on point for this whole party. She uses the iconic flirting technique of forgetting his name. Uh, I didn't quite catch the name. John Truett. Uh, Well, welcome to our home, Mr. Truett. Well, thank you. And then she has to do this song with her little sister and you can tell she's annoyed, but she does it anyway. And she's going to make it good. Like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right and do it well. You can see that her like checking in on where he is at all times too. She's playing so many things in this. And then we really have the lesson in flirting that is turning the lights off at the end of the party. Another huge piece of game from our girl, Esther. Everyone who's about to get out of lockdown and get their flirt on again, fucking watch this movie. Take notes from Esther. Why does she need help to turning off the lights, Jay? Because it's scary to be in the dark. She's afraid of mice. Uh, Mr. Truitt. Uh, yes, Miss Esther? This is an untoward request, but would you mind accompanying me through the house while I turn out the lights? Well, I... Uh... It's just that I... I'm afraid of mice. <laughs> and there's a little meese going to be running around in the dark. The dark invites horrible, awful things. And so you need the neighbor, the boy next door to accompany mm. you. And again, seeing Judy glowing. Oh, to see Judy the, glowing in this. The flirting. cinematography in this scene. Like 
if y'all haven't been on a film set, like the idea of turning on and turning off a light takes a lot more than just turning on and turning off a light. Like you have to change the temperature of the room and the cinematography in this movie is so beautiful. And it just, I, I was reading about how much they did with this, with natural light, with actually opening real windows and closing real windows, all the different lights they had around to do each different light that they, cause they have to slowly turn them off because they're all gas powered in 1904. Oh, it was perfect. It's perfection. It's this movie is also so, so much chintz, so chintzy for you. Oh, honey, this is like op- op- open <laughs> my soul, and it's just and it's it has the frilly ruffles all around mm-hmm. it with <laughs> with red silk lined lined it, and with a hundred different oh. kinds of bows and oh and oh just the, the yeah i was like i i hope nick knows that this is what it looks like to peek inside of me cut me open and <laughs> out comes a ruffle and then more ruffle and then, it's a doily and oh. like a glass colored lamp and some yeah, hangly like chandeliers a red glass lamp chandeliers beautiful <laughs> statues i mean and a puffy pillow oh goodness gracious but then- her voice is also so fucking delicate on this Bannister song, too. Beguiling while below her with tender grace, he watches the picture smiling. A light burns dim in the hall below. Nobody sees them standing. Saying goodnight again, soft and low, halfway up to the landing. Nobody, only those eyes of brown, tender and full of meaning, gaze on the loveliest face in Yeah, what do you think about this? You know, they cut I another, they cut this. this, you know, have you heard the cut song? They cut the song, they cut a song that was originally from Oklahoma by Rodgers and Hammerstein because it didn't propel the plot forward. But this song they kept in because it did propel the plot, mm-hmm. which is true because what moment do we learn at the end of this song? What? Esther, Esther has blue balls. She's like, she can't believe that John Truitt did not come in for the kiss. She said, mm-hmm. if he comes for it, she will give it out. Mm-mm. 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 So instead of kissing her, he just tells her, This has been a great evening. Really, it has. I'll, I'll never forget it, Esther. Do you mean that? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and you know something else? What? You've got a mighty strong grip for a girl. <laughs> Good night, Esther. Good night. Neighbor. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, it's, it's so funny too. Her timing is so good. Oh, it's so good. And it's also kind and she's, you know, they say like the, the you know, if you can blush on screen, if you can be embarrassed oh, yeah. on screen, you know, that's one of the heights of acting mm. and, and her blushing and fluster and she gets, and she gets to have another moment of fluster. That's in the Halloween scene. That's my everything. 
Oh, so good. But right after this with John Truitt comes the most iconic middle set piece of a movie musical of all time that continues this story. What does Esther want? She wants to be with John Truitt. Where might John Truitt go on this fucking field trip with the school kids? Is that where they're going? They're going somewhere. Fun. Yeah, they're out. They're out. They're going out to like the fairgrounds or something. I don't know. The fair hasn't started yet. They're going somewhere. And what are they taking, boo? Ding, ding, ding goes a trolley. Bling, bling, bling goes a horn. Blah, blah, blah goes a brakes. From the moment I saw you, I... Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Ding, ding, ding went my heartstrings as we started from Huntington Dell. Chug, chug, chug went the motor. Bong, bong, bong went the brakes. Oh, this, I know, this is, is so fucking cool. This is kind of the only time that they actually do the big, big Hollywood musical. And it's not. There's not actually a yeah. bunch of choreography. It's still very intimate. It's literally on the trolley. And it, everyone is technicolored out. Oh, the look of this and the costumes. It's a fantasy come to life. And it's actually another piece of counterpoint because everyone is happy on the trolley except for Judy, who is dressed in black. And she's unhappy because John Truett did not make it to the trolley in time. And they aren't going to stop it. They aren't going to wait for him. She's stressed out. So she has to get with her girlfriends to kind of tell them what's up. And did you notice the amount of times that Judy's just throwing her hair back like Cher? She's constantly like actually- well, that's engaging as if she's ha- talking the story and so oh and then she turns to the left and she has to tell them something else and then because she why does she right. have to tell them what happens mid-ride is who gets on the someone catches a, someone is running behind mm-hmm. the train y'all someone is running to catch up and the and way so it just exciting. changes her it just changes her whole being with my high starch collar and my high top shoes and my hair piled high up on my head I went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley and lost my heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. I started to yen, so I counted to ten, then I counted to ten again. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heart strings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Chug, chug, chug went the motor. Bump, bump, bump went the brake. Thump, thump, thump went my heart strings. When he smiled, I could feel a car shake. She's so happy. Yes, this is the big group number. The trolley song, besides the song we're going to get to, is probably one of the most famous uh, songs to come out of this. And Judy would continue to perform it throughout her whole career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is so exciting. I mean, talk about if you want something to get up in the morning to kind of put a real pep in your step. Mm -hmm. This is it. The trolley song is- This is what you play. Is it. This is what you get onto, my friends. This is- this scene is, yeah, this is the scene. This is the scene. This is the moment. Bob, bob, bob went the buzzer. Bob, bob, bob went the wheel. Stop, stop, stop went my heart rings. As he started to leave, I took hold of his sleeve with my hand. And as if it were planned, he stay 
shot on a soundstage and so you know a lot of the times you know you get these just really gorgeous back painted backdrops and there this is a moving backdrop on this trolley and it's it's so iconic it's it's you know we all do now cgi or we do you know on location shooting but this is just so warm and beautiful and it's controlled all of you know the lighting is all controlled just feels like art all like actual art art. like on art on art on art on art not that cgi isn't art it is but just a different kind of art (laughs) (laughs) and then the movie shifts seasons finally like most of the movies in that first summer but then we go to halloween and did you peep how rose has the og jigsaw mask from saw as like one of the costume options Oh, see, you're more of a jigsaw queen than I am. Like I see I'm a big away. jigsaw queen. Yeah. No, she has like that iconic white mask with the red cheeks. And I think it's like an old style Halloween mask that they use in the Saw movies. But I was like, is Rose Smith from fucking Meet Me in St. Louis legit jigsaw? I right in. Tell us what you think. Say when my nostalgia started for all things Halloween, but I think it was this section in the bathtub when I was 24 watching this. And mm. I realized like how I, this w- this was the section of the film that I was like, I'm watching a masterpiece. I'm watching a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not watching some old school, you know, Hollywood musical that's whatever i'm watching something else like this is transformative they wanted to cut uh this whole section off they thought this whole section was slowing it down and kind of wasn't uh of a piece of what the hollywood machine was used to similarly as we know to when they wanted to cut out somewhere over the rainbow in the wizard of oz Monsters, they thought that animals. was slowing it down and but no this is to me is so quintessential in the film there's no singing in it so well, the whole time you were paying attention to the older sisters. Now it's the younger sister's time. It's their mm-hmm. story. And this is back when trick or treat meant it. Oh, like yes. they're like, you it's tricked. the full you tricked. on, it's the full on purge on the streets of St. Louis. As <laughs> <laughs> all these little kids straight up burning like old beds. They're One like, day a year we let children come out. <laughs> And they just let the five and eight year old pop off. Oh, Trudy and Trudy does such masterful work in this because Trudy, Trudy, sorry, I'm I'm doing my other Easter Seal Magnolias, (laughs) Dolly Parton as Trudy. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to play Tootie. Tootie is they keep they, they're yeah they're straight up having a bonfire in the middle of the street unaccompanied by no adults and they're no, all uh-uh. hobgoblins and and just scary. It's scary. Oh, and Tootie has a backstory on her ghost. She's a horrible ghost and I'm a terrible drunken ghost. She was murdered in a den of thieves and I died of a broken heart. 
I've never even been buried because everyone's scared to come near me. Oh, Trudy! Oh, Trudy is Trudy is a macabre child. She's a method actress. She knows everything about how the she's a drunk she's ghost. She's a yeah. drunk ghost, y'all. Oh, and. She gets assigned to go and trick this like house alone in the expression on this little actress's face, the emotions that she goes through, the art that she gets of like fulfilling the thing of throwing the flower in the face and then, and then running to her sister and her sister's like, Tootie, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, Tootie, what have you been doing? She took the rock all alone. Yeah. What's the matter? Tootie, the bulldog tried to bite you. Did Mr. Brokaw chase you? Can't you talk? I can't. <laughs> and it's like, and you think, oh my gosh, she's really. And what does she? Traumatized. She has to throw. She has to throw that flower in the face, and then tell him that she hates, hates him. And but she does it, and you think she's really upset about it, and 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 she, and she goes through this expression of being, you know, mortified. But she said, "I did it," and she it's actually she's shocked at how strong she is. Yeah, because she is the most terrible. And then she gets included into straight up burning down St. Louis, it seems. And straight up like starting a plot, which I couldn't really follow. It's, to, like, it's legit overthrow a rail car. Like she and her <laughs> sister Agnes get some doll and they put it on the trolley line. This is where the trolley. This is why I'm like, this is this movie is scary, y'all. Like, don't watch with your children. They put some doll out. A dummy. So they, the like train, feel, they like stuff something with a clothes dummy to try and so think that, that they're the going to will over. go off the track. Yeah, they're like it's gonna. It, they're gonna think they ran over someone, and isn't that isn't that funny? You know what else Trudy says? She says, "Fuck the police." So policemen never pay attention to girls. <laughs> yeah, she is not. She is not about the pigs in this one. She she is Antifa as fuck, Tootie. But she but she does get hurt. Our Tootie gets gets wounded during her tricks. And blames Judy's boyfriend John Truitt. Yes, she like claims a, a boy next door caused her harm and judy just can't can't imagine it or esther is just like no that can't be he wouldn't he would never harm one of my sisters but she does believe it and then she go and she pops off hello esther john truitt yeah? i've come here to ask you something really? yes. what do you mean having a five-year-old child It's amazing. But then this leads to one of my favorite sister scenes when they're all on the bed and 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 Tootie kind of admits that she fibbed. She lied. It wasn't John. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. And then and all of the sisters are there, and basically Judy literally puts her over her knee to like give her a spanking. You're not my sister. You're the most deceitful, horrible, sinful little creature I ever saw. And I don't want to have anything to do with you again. And for two people cents, are very mad. They were furious. Like more than we had a You know, laughter and tears so are my good. favorite emotions. Again, still Magnolias. And and it's just such a beautifully realized scene with all of these actresses at their height, just at, just perfectly uh, uh, moving along, kind of exact. You know, it's a thing. It's where like I, I, you you always you sometimes want things in a movie, and this movie just keeps giving me. I'm like, I don't want it to go this direction. I want it to to go. I want it to be a little bit less expected, and they do that every time. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I did not see so many of these turns coming. And that's when the blue balling stops and Judy gets to go back over and apologize. And it's yeah. so tense. I mean, beautifully tense. It's a tension of romance. I mean, mm. ugh, it's, it's, and then she gets her first kiss and it's everything. Come on. I'm 16 again. Oh, so beautiful. She finally gets it. Yeah. And then what does she tell him? You got a body strong grip. For a boy. And walks off. And it's you should iconic. see her face. Esther her face, has so much game. She, her face is, she can't say anything else. She's in shock. <laughs> She's in shock. And you kind of can see him being like, does she like it or doesn't she? Like Judy literally looks like she got like, she got hit. Like she's just, <laughs> it's that, it's that thing where like, I've always wanted this and I can't imagine. And Judy plays it to perfection. And then counterpoint comes again because Papa comes home and tells him they're all moving to New York City. Because right. he's a villain. And Mary Astor in this scene. Let's just go. take a minute Let's for Mary it. Astor, Let's the mom. Let's get in it, please. Let's get into Mary Astor. Mary Astor was such a huge, huge movie star of the time. She was one of the few people who's a huge star in the silent films who switched over to talkies. You know, you might know her from um, The Maltese Falcon. She has an Oscar for a film called The Big Lie with Betty Davis. This is a great story. She Betty Davis actually got uh, Mary Astor cast in that, and Bet was the lead, and she hated the script. Betty just hated the script. And so she calls Mary Astor over to her dressing room. She's like, let's rewrite this script together, because I know you're going to have better ideas than are in this script. So they reworked all the dialogue in the movie together. And that is what I mean about being for the girls. She also had a really like tumultuous, tumultuous life. She was married and had a kid with this guy, and then they were getting divorced, and she had an affair with the playwright George Kaufman, and she was one of the original tabloid queens. But instead of it destroying her career, it really bolstered it. But she was also a long, long-time alcoholic. She was like an intense alcoholic through all of the 30s and 40s. And she went to a sanitarium for alcoholism in 1949 and overdosed on pills for the third time in 1951. So she had a lot of struggles with mental health and addiction. And she overcame them both. And she became a novelist. She wrote a whole bunch of novels. She wrote her own autobiography. And then her last film before she retired was, again, Betty Davis called her out of retirement to do Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte with her and Olivia de Havilland, which is amazing. So she's just one of the great actors of all time. She plays the mom in this. She plays Marmy in Little Women, Little Women Hive Rise Up. And she's just really has an extraordinary career. And if you see Mary Astor in a movie, you should watch it. People love, love, love Mary Astor. They say when, when, when she comes up, there's just a bunch of like people who love classic films. When Mary Astor comes up, there's just so much goodwill and joy around Mary Astor and the performances that she got. She, yeah, like Nick said, she was, she was a little poo-pooed about constantly playing the mom yeah, she was in her mom phase in this. And she was kind of over it. She was a little yeah. bit tired from uh, constantly having to play all the different mother roles. But it's it's funny because she doesn't have – she doesn't actually have that much in this film, but you feel like she's all constantly present. She Again, yeah. she doesn't have that much dialogue, but what she does, she she, you know, she runs sprints on it, and then she just fills every scene with her energy. I mean, the, the matriarchal energy from her in this is so fun. It's so complex. She challenges her husband, but also still unfortunately knows 
the the role and of that and what that time meant to speak out and choose mm-hmm. because she doesn't want to leave. She really says like this is our and home. And she goes through her feelings about it. She's a Hardcore. really good mom. She lets her daughters have their feelings about it. She doesn't reprimand them for it. She walks that line between like not over-challenging her husband and letting him know how this is making her feel. Now you all know very well I was talking about the chickens. Oh, of course. Never mind what happens to your family. At a time like this, talk about the chickens. But she also still has to stand by his side because because he is the breadwinner and what he says goes. That song is a flop for me. Oh, the couple. I would. No. You and I, they sing the song like after she's upset, like where they're like, it's going to be okay because we're going to be together. And I'm like, no, thanks. Have Judy sing that, please. Have Judy sing it. But it is a beautifully shot scene. It's a beautifully. It is. Of course, like like everything in this movie. It's a beautifully realized scene because they're all supposed to eat cake and ice cream after Halloween. And no one wants to. Everyone's everyone just feels so despondent from the fact that they have Mm -hmm. to leave their home. And right before literally. Right before the next summer of the big... Of what? The fair. The fair. And... We're like, how am I going to go to the fair? And Tootie's like, I'm going to have to dig up all the corpses of my dolls. And I have to start now. It will take me at least a week to dig up all my dolls from the cemetery. Come back here, you two. I have to start... She's going to have a tunnel. She's going to build a tunnel. Oh, that's just to surprise the neighbor. She's just going to do that so she can grab the ankle. Of, I mean, we got to talk about Let's talk. We, need, we have to talk about Tootie. Hey, we need to call We need to call the counselor and we need to talk about Tootie because before I really she moves, I really want Tilda Swinton wants... and Margaret O'Brien to do a movie together. I mean, that is psychotic. She's like, okay, we're moving. Shoot. I got to get on my plan to build that tunnel to the, to the neighbor's house so I can grab her ankle when she walks by and possibly scare her to death. I'm starting a tunnel tomorrow from our garden right under the streetcar tracks and into Mrs. Middleton's terrace. Then while she's walking around her lawn someday, I'll grab her by the leg. It'll take months. And I'm not going till I'm finished. I can't believe I have to do that I mean, that she's now. got big, she's got big Ramona Quimby energy. I mean, she's, a, she's my favorite little psychopath. But they're playing the song and then all <laughs> the family comes back down and kind of re-enters. And it really does just kind of show the unit that they are and that they all are, even if they don't agree with this decision and because this awful man is in the picture, the father, but that they're Ooh. also going to support each other and that they're all going to kind of take care of each other. And oh my goodness, um, so Tootie comes to sit near Judy Garland during this musical number and she starts trying to grab some cake and Judy just kind of swats her hand away. And then she <laughs> cuts a piece of the cake off and feeds it to her. <gasps> and my heart just broke. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I I bizarrely cried a couple of times. I might have cried then. I might have just cried then from the beauty of it all. Oh, so fucking beautiful. My the next scene in the movie is my favorite scene. We're now at Christmas time, and Rose and Esther are getting ready to go to the ball. There's like a Christmas ball that's going to happen, and well, first they're like outside with some snowmen. And Rose, who doesn't have a date, decides to go with her brother. There's a whole subplot that's not too interesting. Anyway, the two sisters are up putting their corsets on each other in the bedroom. It'll be all right. Now take a deep breath. Oh, come on. Oh, oh, oh. Now that was all right, wasn't it? Didn't hurt. Oh, yes, it does wonders for your figure. I feel like the ossified woman in the sideshow. You look grand, simply elegant. And it's so 
A, terrible that women had to do that, but B, kind of fabulous, and C, made me think that when we go out after the pandemic, we're going to have to put corsets on each other. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna, but it's going to like push things down. Like it's not. It's going to like create like another <laughs> layer under the corset. That's going to be so. It's like so fupad <laughs> that like I'm. I don't think that's good. I mean, I'm. I could maybe do like a whole body casing, maybe <laughs> to kind of to <laughs> like kind a, of create a curve there. But a full a full spank. Yeah, maybe a spank. Maybe you could. Maybe if you really want to cinch that waist, so you can put on some of those millennial skinny jeans that we're not allowed to wear anymore. <laughs> no, or they're out. They're out. They're out. They're out. Okay, thank you. Don't for show your age. Me. Don't show your age. I love this though because they are like plotting a whole plan to dance with twenty men. If we can create a breathtaking effect, it'll be simple to monopolize all the worthwhile men. Exactly. Uh- There are only going to be about 20 boys worth looking at anyway. We can certainly handle 20 men. Again, Esther's the horniest girl in town, and I'm obsessed with that. Got to get on that dance card, just like Little Women. Mm -hmm. You got to go up to that holiday ball, and that is a social event. I don't understand them. I don't understand dance cards or how they work or why other people get to fill out other people's dance cards for them. I don't get that, but I'm rolling with it. I think think it's economical. I I just kind of think it's like, okay, we're done. I'm done now with you. I am done now with you. Look, you're on the right. card. This is the time that I get to dance with this other bow. You know, it's right. so, so as a po- maybe it's like it helps keep the lecherous pigs away or something. Oh, and man, Judy in this scene. So her boyfriend, John Truett, forgot to pick up his tux from the dry cleaners and he can't go to the fucking ball. She's very benevol- Judy, benevolent in this. And I would have been like, John, so sweet. are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm poor thing. I'm leaving. We're moving to New York in three days. And you couldn't remember to pick up your tux for this oh, most important basketball. Thing. Sports kills it all. Oh, well, this is ghastly. I'm sorry, yes. I wouldn't blame you if you never spoke to me again. Oh, well, you didn't do it on purpose. Well, I guess there's nothing else to say. Unless you want to do something else tonight. No, thank you. I think I'll stay home and do some packing. You know, we're leaving St. Louis in a few days. I know. This is a fine going away present I'm giving you for Christmas. I'll bet you really hate me. Oh, no, John, I don't hate you. I just hate basketball. But they have a really fun dance scene and all the couples that you want get to be couples and Judy Garland dances with all the toads at the ball and then the grandfather father comes and yeah, saves the, the day. And, she, yeah. and Judy Garland is wearing the scarf of the century, folks, because I can't oh, even... Is, yes. it, is it like a... like? It's like crystal knitted, magnificent. It looks so heavy on the head, but so perfect with with Judy surrounding Judy's face. And it's she's in that iconic red crushed velvet Christmas gown. Always. This is always how I will remember Judy. Till the day I die, mm-hmm. like I say, this is the film for me. And this is the look that with, with that, that red lip. red, the red hammerhead bang. Oh, yes. The square bang. I, I spent many, many a minute trying to figure out how in the world to get that hair. 
that hair to go the way it does <laughs> to go kind of bang swoop side up down it's a wig baby <laughs> no it's not it's real it's real that's gorgeous Judy's girl Dottie made her that wig baby oh no, baby everything uh, here is real besides the backdrops that's what I'm gonna believe <laughs> this is like her only redheaded movie too I think yeah yeah Judy stands right in let me know if that's true the book in the book they were the sisters were blonde and, and brunette I think and they both mm-hmm. decided to make them Auburn Auburn sisters all of the way you know the, and the mom has red hair it's a it's a redhead yeah, family we love our redheads yeah. on this podcast so and then Judy gets engaged to John Truitt this is such a complicated scene because I can't tell by the end of it if they're engaged or they're not engaged well I think Judy plays it I think I think the writing is magnificent she's young they're still in high school and she's she's uh, this is her first love she's up you know this right. is a way to maybe get her back into St. Louis like you know back in the day you know you pass someone a note and all of a sudden you're married to them with five kids that's how it was in right. 1904 right Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of what, what that's kind of the expectation. But Judy really does play it also like how do, how does this actually pan out? Like I still need to be with my family. How is this real? How can we really right. realize this? I actually think Judy kind of knows it's not real or it's too soon. Yeah, and that she when her family is in this much upheaval that she can't remove herself from it too, and that St. Louis is not St. Louis without her family there. No, and her families are important as we see as she as she as she uh, you know embrace. She she actually doesn't even kiss him; she hugs him. She hugs him and she runs away because she can't quite deal with the moment. She has to get to her family. Why? Because here we come the most iconic song. Here we come mm. the song of the century. The she comes best up Christmas and song someone in the world. has. Someone has murdered Tootie's entire family in front of her. <laughs> Tootie did it. She's Tootie did bawling it. like a like. Uh, it's so upsetting. Like trigger warning: if you have experienced trauma in your life, this might set it off again because. Tootie is going through every emotion in the book. <laughs> it's so upsetting. This created a lot of lore around the film. A lot of people, like uh, the legend forever in a day was that Vincent Mille- Minnelli told her actual dog was sick and dying to get her to cry. <laughs> but she has come out and said, no, that's not true. My mother would never let that happen. That's very abusive. That, uh, <laughs> but, I, but she was like, I was in a crying contest and I wanted to prove that I could win, that I could cry the most. And so she was yeah. like, that's just where it came from. I just, I wanted to win. And so I did it. I decided to cry, not necessarily prompted by the by the supposed near death of my beloved dog. And boy, does she cry. She cries with these big, 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 big eyes. And it's that's- a testament to Judy that Judy can still sing this most iconic song in the movie and still be the star of the movie kind of with Tootie playing full Greek tragedy in her arms and that's the song that we're speaking of as you all know is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light Next year all our troubles will be out of
Merry Little Christmas That's was right. actually a lot darker than any of the versions that we know it today. Judy Garland mm. straight up was like, I'm not singing this to a child right, right. before we move. This is too heavy. I'm not going to do it. And so they kind of, they amended some of the lyrics. I think originally it said like, enjoy it now because this might actually be your last Christmas. Yeah, you might really die. Dark. And the version that we know, Frank Sinatra then took that Judy Garland version and re-recorded it. And he thought that was too gloomy. So he changed it. So actually the version we know is Frank Sinatra's version uh, right. from trying to make it a little bit less gloomy. But this is the iconic version. I actually had to have... Uh, my pod come and sit with me just for this moment. I said, okay, listen, y'all can't know me if you don't see this. Y'all can't know me <laughs> without being able to experience how this song was originally recorded and shot. Like this is, come mm. on, you ain't, gonna, you ain't gonna be my gay family without knowing this. <laughs> Someday soon we all will be Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas It's so beautiful. And then after it's all done, we're interrupting Judy in this. Judy has had it with the Christmas Carol, and she decides it's time for her to kill every snowman in their backyard. Not Judy. Violently. Judy does. Judy. That's what I meant. Judy. Well, she, she says- She interrupts Judy. I, she want, she's like, if I can't take them to New York, I have to kill them. Yeah. And they got to go to the boneyards. They got to go to the bone gardens. And- and, and really, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Those it's, snowmen are kind of a flop for me. They're very obviously not snowmen. I know. When I was showing it to my girls, they're like, oh, cool, not snow. And I re- I did want to die. See, I don't want to talk about this. I wanted to be like, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. They're like, it's cement. I was like, no, it's fucking not. Get out of me. Get out of here. It's well, it's being snow. destroyed by like a six-year-old child. So I don't think it was cement. No, but. it's like something else. <laughs> but I do th- – but just not to keep going, but like – seeing the way that that song was conceptualized and how moved that that girl was by how sad it is. Like people forget that that is that origin of that song is, it is so important. It is about a family losing, you know, losing their life and hoping for better times, losing their home and hoping that someday we'll be able to gather around the people that we've always loved. Like it really gives it a lot of context that I think this song has become a chestnut. People just sing. And I really think it's lost its meaning. So this is, mm, this is very, 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 I don't know. It's very important to me. I we've we've covered this song already on our iconic first Christmas carols that we did two years ago. I mean, it's everything. It's Judy's most iconic. And, it, and guess walk. what? It affects the father. It affects the father. The the, the mm-hmm. sentiment of the song of uh, and, it melts the heart of this evil old man. Yes, and he and so he decides to say, "Okay, now I get it. It's devastating my entire family to uproot them." And I guess, boom, we're not going to do that. I know, and boom, we're not going to New York. We're staying in St. Louis and going to the motherfucking fair. Which is to me so funny because yeah, so now we're in the end and the fair, this whole thing that we're living up to, it's a very short part of the film. 
it's, it's kind of bloop. an inconsequence. It's a bloop. It's kind of such an inconsequential, but that's kind of what it is. You know, you build things up and then it's just kind of like, okay, here's the thing. And they couldn't build that set. Did you ever read the book, The Devil in the White City? No, I didn't. So that's about the World's Fair in Chicago, where the crazy killer, the one of the biggest serial killers of all time, who was one of the designers of all the fairgrounds and stuff, murdered all the pe- all these people and like put them in the cement and buried them in the walls and shit. Whoa! Oh no! It's so crazy. H. H. Holmes. Oh yes, yes, yeah. He and like he had a mansion it's right in good. Chicago. Yes, and, would bury them and he, all. his yep. murder, his murder mansion, and buried them all in there. It's really good. That's what this made me think of. The yeah. end. Wow. And then I thought how Tootie should have starred in a biopic on that guy because she's so into genre. The the thing that I def could have used. Th- this is a perfect film. This is. I mean, we obviously we're covering it on for the girls, so that means we love it. And yes. so, yeah, so it's no surprise here. We adore this. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I implore you all to watch this film, but I would, I could have used a grand exit number. Final number? Yes. Like Easter Parade? Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Man, I hope everyone has some good Easter plans coming up because how exciting. I mean, everyone's favorite holiday. I do. <laughs> I am speechless. I, I am speechless. I don't know what you're talking about. I have an Easter dress. <laughs> it's of uh, this lilac color, and it's kind of an empire waist. It's kind. Of, it looks very kind of '90s, but it definitely kind of cuts me at my, I guess, my thinnest right now. And um, I have all my Easter decorations out. My babies are decked out. Oh my gosh! You know what I got? That's very much this film. I got a. What? I think it. I think it's a doll's wig or it's a tiny child's old wig with like mm. ringlets. Like it's an actual wig, but, and it doesn't quite fit my doll's head. It's a little too small. So I don't know what child it is. You should fit. build a small wig form for it. I try, yeah, kids wig form. I try, I try to go online and, hey, I'm trying, looking for a, <laughs> for a small child wig form to put on this. Maybe it was one of, maybe it was one of Margaret O'Brien's old wigs. My dolls really look like Meet Me in St. Louis. I'll tell you what. It looks, it's really good. I'm really in can the I talk spirit. To you, can I talk to you about one more diva in this before we go? Who do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Miss Marjorie Maine as Katie the Maid. Yes. So, you know, she is Ma Kettle. Well, okay, it's so funny because I texted Shelly, my mom, my mom, and I was like, mom, I rented Meet Me in St. Louis. You have to watch it. And she got back and she said, oh, honey, I have seen it hundreds of times. I grew up with musicals. They were very big in my day. And then she started going on to Ma Kettle. She also called Vincent Minnelli a lech, too, during this text exchange for for dating Judy Garland. (laughs) She was 22. It's okay. I know, but I think my Um, mom's watching this thinking she's 16. This is my main girl in this movie, though. She is also seen in The Women. She played Ma Kettle. She's from Elkhart, Indiana. (gasps) Keep that, which is right next door to where Jason is from and I'm from. And the the Kettle movies were these kind of weird. They were kind of the first Beverly Hillbillies movies or Ernest Goes to Jail movies. They were kind of like very much about country folks trying Mm -hmm. to do city things. And Marjorie Maine was actually nominated for an Oscar for the first one of them. Wow. And she made so many of them that they they grow so much money they saved Universal Pictures. That's like Universal iconic. Pictures was going through this dark time and fucking Marjorie Maine just barreled through with her old vaudevillian roots wow. and just made a shit ton of money for them and then retired. Hey, that's what you do. She's so iconic in this. I love her. I love it when they're making ketchup. I love it when she serves some ketchup soup. 
She's all, yeah. You get that ketchup soup too sweet, too sour, too plain. I just didn't know about ketchup soup. I guess that's the same as tomato soup. I I think so. I think maybe it's just another version of. Okay, write us in. Leave us a review about your favorite kind of ketchup. But she's really, really, uh, you know, she she holds down the background. When we talk about all the background acting, watch watch Katie give the face that we need for the moment and the truth. And Katie's everything. She's everything. I wish you had come. She doesn't. She doesn't. We don't get to see Katie, but I'm sure she's. No, there. she doesn't get to I'm come sure to the there. fair. I'm sure she's there. She went with her. She went with her sister, who's having problems with her husband. That's right. That's what she did. She had. She had a babysitter sister. You know what? Yeah. You know what? My mom's. You know what I'm going to do after this? So I got my mom on this musical, and she 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 was just it just lit her up. And so what she did decided to do was rent My Fair Lady. So right after this, mm. I'm going to turn on My Fair Lady, which. I've never seen. So you've never seen <gasps> you. Yep. I know. You, yep. Now that's really mind blowing. That's more mind blowing than not seeing me, me and St. Louis. I have never seen my fair lady. That's crazy. That's what I'm going to do for my Okay. So Easter. just remember who sang it for I Audrey know. Hepburn. I know. Marnie Nixon. The great Marnie Nixon sings that for Audrey Hepburn. She also sings for Natalie Wood and West Side Story. Yep. She provides iconic some iconic singer. voices. From some iconic I mean, I, I love Audrey in that movie. I really wish we had the Julie Andrews version of the movie, but that's controversial for me to say. I know, but we don't. But that's, I feel like, but I just feel like let's live in some old time musicals right now for our Easter Sunday. Oh, for our Easter, for our escapism, for gorgeous production design. Yeah. Run an old musical. They're beautiful. They take you somewhere else. They are just filled it's art on art on art on art on art this is definitely uh meet me in st louis is filed in my anytime any day any month any and put it on put it on put it on and i'm just going to sit back and just absolutely i mean like i said i rewatched it two days in a row and i was like okay i'm just Mm. doing the second time just to kind of do some notes and get some vibes and then i just (laughs) two hours went by <laughs> and it was like I was just watching it again. Like from the moment it starts so with beautiful. the beautiful light and the beautiful color, and to the moment it ends again with this like just this beautiful backdrop. It's just it's heaven. We give this to you. This is our for the girls episode. Judy, thank you for being our patron saint, honey. We will always thank remember you. Thank you, like you this. Mama. We love you. We love it when you're when you're happy. We love it when you give us your voice. Uh, and we love all you for listening to our voices. Absolutely. Um rate review and subscribe to the podcast share it on social media and come over and join us on patreon we're going to talk about the tina turner documentary on hbo hey and we love you we'll see you next week bye paddle angels bye i can't believe it right here where we live right here in saint louis